People of God, we look together in the word of the Lord in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We begin reading with verse 18. I was moved to develop a sermon out of this text after hearing uh, a presentation at an O Church Alive conference at our church. It was part of a pre-conference, kind of, and uh, Brother Paul Murphy spoke out of this text. I've expanded it somewhat. Uh, It is different, but he certainly gave me that. That was certainly a powerful address uh, that uh, uh, had me come to this text. Uh, So the sermons today are both on worship and and as God and his uh, God's call to worship we look together at God's we hear from God's holy word Hebrews chapter 12 beginning with verse 18 for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that they no longer that they no further that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, "I tremble with fear." But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Well, people of God, this word from God's word uh, sets before us uh, the nature of worship. And, and it does that with several questions that we'll put into several points. Uh, one of the questions is, how did you get here? Uh, how did you get here? Where are you? Who are you with? What are you doing? Those are the key questions that our text answers. 
And you children, uh, you may think that you got here by a car, that you're sitting in a building, and I'm not sure which county you're in, but I know you're in the state of Michigan. You might say I'm in the state of Michigan. Uh, You might be assured that uh, you're in the nation of the United States and that you're on the planet Earth. And if you are convinced of all those things, I want to say to you that, well, you're right in some way, but you're wrong in many other ways, if that's all you're thinking about. If that's what you're thinking about how you got here, who's worshiping here with you, who's in this place, or where is this place, would be a better question. All those questions are answered in the text in a way, of course, that we, we know by faith and not by sight. We know by a faith in those things that actually cannot be shaken. I just came from Montana when I was a small boy. I experienced an earthquake that woke me up and the earth shook. It shook. And earthquakes are not as, as uh, uh, common here. Once in a great while, a little bit. But I suspect none of you children have ever been woke up by an earthquake. I was about eight years old. And uh, in that shaking, uh, God is saying, uh, these things are the temporary things that, uh, that can pass away. Uh, but I'm going to show you something that cannot pass away, that is unshakable, that is more real than this building. More sustainable, more lasting And so those are the questions. So we could answer that by answering, where are we worshiping? Where are we worshiping? Or the place of worship? Well, the first thing uh, that we are told is where we're not worshiping. Where we're not worshiping. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire. And that is taken from the Old Testament in the giving of the Ten Commandments. And Deuteronomy chapter 5 is one place in the Old Testament that summarizes that. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. uh, And this is immediately following the the, uh, declaration of the law in that text, which is a sermon about what happened at Mount Sinai, the book of Deuteronomy. And in there we have following the the, the declaration of the Ten Commandments in, in Deuteronomy 5.22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and you elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord your God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. 
For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and still lived? Go near and hear all that our Lord God will say and then speak to us all that our Lord God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. But don't let God speak to us directly. And Hebrews says, God is speaking to you directly today. And it's no small matter. And you're not on Mount Zion. You're not there. You're in in an even more awesome place. Where are you? You're on Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. It is not only talking about a geographical location, of course. It's talking about our fun, a, a fundamental relationship with God. And, and this relationship is post-Sinai, post the cross. And that's the critical matter. That's the critical matter. And it is not as if the Old Testament people didn't experience this in shadow form. They did. And this, the greater reality, which is the anticipation of the full reality, when all things visible that are shakeable are done away with and there's a new heaven and a new earth. But in this context, the focus is on the New Testament people of God. On the New Testament people of God and our worship. And we ought not to flee the mountain. We ought not to flee the place we are now because we're on Mount Sinai. Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. Mount Zion. You have come. You have come. It is an assumption of the people of God in the New Testament era, post-cross, that we have come to what may uh, not what to come what may be touched. You have not come to what may be touched. You have come to Mount Sinai. Sinai. You have come to the city of the living God, verse 22. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where we are. That's our location. That's our primary location. Not physically. By faith we have come. By faith we are there. So we're here and there. We're in both places. I'm not saying to you that we're all here in some mystical experience and we're, we're, we're not really here bodily. We're all in this mystical place called Mount Sinai. No. By faith, we are in Mount Zion. By faith, we're in the city of Jerusalem. We're in the New Jerusalem. This city and this place that God has described in a number of different places in the scripture. And the book of Revelation is one of those places that he describes that as the, in some places where that city will come to earth. And when all that is shakable is done away with and then the heavenly Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem and Mount Sinai will be, Mount Zion will be in this place and it'll all be one. But until then, we know that we have a place and we participate in 
this place that is called this new Jerusalem. Revelation uh, chapter 21 verse 2 will state, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And the connotation is, is that this is the church as well, right? It's, a, it's not primarily a location. Revelation 21, and this is uh, in the, uh, when uh, Jesus returns, a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, uh, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Uh, This is what is being talked about here in Hebrews. Revelation 22, verse 19, uh, one of the very last verses of the revealed word of God. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. This holy city. This place of God. We are in the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where we are. And that's where our worship is taking place. And if that's the case, who is worshiping? That's the second major question. Who is worshiping? Who is worshiping today? Who are we worshiping with? And we look around and we say, well, we're worshiping with all these people here in this place. We're worshiping with a guest pastor named uh, Pastor Freswick. That's who we're worshiping with. And the focal point of our text is who we're worshiping with in the new Jerusalem, in the city of God. Who are we worshiping with? And the first declaration to answer that question is who have we come to? Uh, we have come to Mount Zion. We, have, we're, we are in Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Innumerable angels in festal gathering. Do you children remember when there were new innumerable angels, not in festal gathering, but in the judgment of God against the Syrians in Second Kings chapter 6, verse 17. And the Syrians were attacking the Israelites, and Elisha was there with his servant, and his servant is saying, there is no hope. We're, we're, the, the city is going to be destroyed and, and nothing is going, there, there's no one here to save us. There's no army to save us. And in verse 17, uh, we read these words. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please upon his eyes uh, that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And those were the chariots of fire of the angels of God. The angels were all around. And if God opened your eyes today, the way he opened this young man's eyes, 
we would see in the city of God, in the new Jerusalem, in the, in the new Jerusalem that's in heaven, where we are, we would see angels all around. There are all kinds of angels joining us in what is described as festal gathering. It's a festal gathering. It's a gathering of great joy, says God with his angels. We're worshiping with angels. We are worshiping, in verse 23, we are worshiping and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The assembly of the firstborn, (coughs) excuse me, enrolled in heaven. And that assembly of the firstborn, who do you think that is? There's two references uh, to this group. Uh, The assembly of the firstborn and also towards the end of the description. uh, uh, The same group described in a different way. It is to the spirits in verse 23 of the righteous made perfect. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. The assembly of the firstborn in heaven who are enrolled in heaven. Well, who are the firstborn? Who are the assembly of the firstborn? Well, first of all, uh, it is uh, this phrase to describe uh, these uh, people, and it also gives a further description of, of what's going on and who's going on. It says it's, a, it's an assembly, an assembly. Uh, the King James, a new King James translated as a general assembly. Uh, I was just recently at a general assembly of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church on behalf of the United Reformed Church. They call it the general assembly. It's when all kinds of, of, of churches gather and all kinds of delegates come together. And, and then there's uh, what they call fraternal delegates from other denominations from all over the world. And it's a general assembly. It's broad. There's a whole bunch of people there. And this is a general assembly of worship. When we worship, we're part of a general assembly that comes together. And it's a general assembly of those who have been enrolled in heaven. It's it's a reference to those who have died and gone to heaven. Uh, And it's the church, uh, this general assembly of the firstborn. And, and Jesus Christ is described for us as the firstborn. But believers are firstborn in before God. We all have firstborn status because we're all united to Christ. And so our inheritance is all the same. Fundamentally the same in our eternal inheritance that is before God. The general assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven and to God and to God. Well, we oftentimes have that as our clear focus that we are worshiping God when we, when we come together in general assembly, which this is. It's a general assembly as well as a local congregation. It's a general assembly. And you come together and we come to God God. 
that word that it reminds us that there is only one God, one true God, one sovereign God, one all-knowing, everywhere present, all-wise, all-powerful God. God, who is the judge of all. This reminds us that this God who we dare come to, who we come into his presence, while the Israelites, when they heard that voice of God, they wanted to run from it. They wanted, now Moses, you be our mediator. We we cannot be, we don't even want to hear his voice. The Old Testament said, if you see God, you will die. And they said, if we hear God, we will die. And we have come to that God who is the judge of all. The text that is before us doesn't say that the God that we come to isn't the God who was on Mount Sinai. It isn't like we have two different gods or two different phases of God. He is the same God. He is the judge of all. He is, as the last verse of our scripture describes, he is a consuming fire. That's who he is. And in every way, we ought to be as afraid of the voice of God as those in the Old Testament, but we don't have to be. And we're not. And we shouldn't be. But he is that God who is a consuming fire. He is that God who is the judge of all. And so, coming into his presence is no minor matter. It doesn't just happen. We can't just flippantly say, well, let's go into the presence of God. He's our buddy. He's our friend. You know, he's just sitting alongside of us. No. He is that consuming fire. He is the God who judges all. But he who is the God who has invited us and brought us into his presence through the blood of Christ. And we come to that God. An amazing thing. In one sense, it ought never to happen. But He invites us. He draws us. He brings us by grace into His presence. This God, we come Verse 23d, last part of verse 23, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And once again, I see that as a reference to the, those who have died and gone to heaven. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. They are no longer capable of sinning. They're made perfect. These are the righteous made perfect. And we come to Jesus. Jesus. Now that name, above all names, Jesus. Yahweh says, saves. Jesus. Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Jesus, the mediator. I asked you children at the beginning of how you got here. And this verse tells us how we get to the throne room of God. How we dare enter His presence. How we look forward to hearing His voice. How do we dare do any of that is because Jesus, we come to Jesus. 
the mediator. Moses was the mediator, that one who was but a shadow and a dim uh, prophecy of Jesus to come. And now we have the mediator in his full mediatorial work, Jesus. We come to Jesus, the one who has saved us from our sins, the mediator of that new covenant. Not new in the sense of the old covenant was salvation by works and the new covenant is salvation by grace. Nothing like that. But new in the terms of the fullness, just like the new heavens and the new earth won't be of the total eradication of the present. It will be the total transformation. So it's a transformed covenant, old covenant, into the newness of the new covenant because of the completed work of Jesus And he now stands as the mediator, as the way that we enter into the presence of God. That famous verse and very applicable text. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the word. The first part of that is the way is simply a a road. He's the road. He's the path. Jesus is the path upon which we have come into the presence of God in the throne room of heaven at this moment. That's how we get here. That's how we can pray. That's the only way we can ultimately pray is through the mediator, is through Christ. No one has direct access to God. No one would want direct access to God. They would be consumed by his voice. They would be consumed by his, his presence. And they will be if Jesus isn't their mediator. We come to Jesus, the mediator of that new covenant. That way to God. So what is the road that we must take to get here? What is the road that we must take in order to worship? What is the road that we must take in order to live before God as a child of God? What is the way? The way is Jesus. The only way. No other road. No other highway will get us here. There aren't multiple roads to get here. There's only one road. And that is Jesus. And we come to the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The sprinkled blood of the covenant. Many evidences of the sprinkled blood in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 24, we have one example of sprinkled blood which is, by the way, why I think it's totally appropriate to sprinkle in terms of those sacraments that are signs and seals of the blood. It's because sprinkling was the main pattern of the Old Testament in terms of administering the blood. It was through the sprinkling. You didn't bathe. They, no one bathed in blood in the Old Testament. They were sprinkled with the blood as in Exodus 24, 6 through 8. Exodus 24, 6 through 8. 
And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basin and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and all the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. He threw it on them. He sprinkled it upon them. Another translation. It is the blood of the covenant. It is the new blood. As Jesus declared in the institution of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11.25, which we hear whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It is the blood shed at the altar of the cross, the blood of propitiation, appeasing the wrath of God. It is the blood of purification, washing away our sin. It is the blood of separation that separates us as apart, separates us apart from the world and holy to the Lord. It is the blood of mediation. It is the blood of sacred assembly. We come together because of the blood of Jesus. And that blood speaks. It speaks. And the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It was William Hendrickson in his commentary uh, that referenced the hymn that we sang at the beginning of, of this service that has the blood of Abel. And I looked it up in our new Trinity Psalter and, and it was there. I was shocked. There it was. That's the only song I know that has such a phrase in it. The blood of Abel cried for vengeance. The blood of Jesus cried. And the blood of Jesus, as the, this song declares, it's a blood that speaks a better word. It speaks the blood of forgiveness and purification. This blood that comes to us. Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. The blood of Jesus. Do you hear the blood of Jesus when you come together for worship? Are you listening? The ancient Israelites heard the voice of God. Then they said, we want to hear the voice of God through Moses, verse 25, when it declares that the blood of Jesus is speaking, verse 25 says, See you do not refuse him who is speaking. Who is speaking? This is talking about the preaching of the word in the assembly of God's people. It also clearly has reference to the Bible, but it, it is talking about an assembly of God's people hearing the word of God. And who is speaking to you today? Who speaks to you on a regular uh, Sunday? Well, it's Reverend Barnes. Say, Reverend Barnes is the one who speaks to us. No, the blood is speaking to you. Who is speaking to you? It is him who is in heaven. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. This speaking is a speaking from heaven. 
we emphasize the absolute essential nature of the preached word in worship. And this is one of those texts that we would go to to emphasize that Jesus is speaking, God is speaking to us when we gather for worship. It is God speaking. In the Mount Sinai, God spoke and the earth shook. And the blood is speaking. Jesus is speaking. The truth of God's word when proclaimed and preached faithfully is the word is Jesus speaking to us from heaven. What a blessing. What a responsibility. Hebrews declares to us, don't fail to listen. Don't fail to listen. So if this is what, where we are, how we got here, and what's going on, how should we act in worship? Well, first of all, we should worship. It might be good to be assembled, to gather together. And the elders of this church say, we assemble twice on the Lord's Day and sometimes on other special occasions. But when, when God calls you to worship, we ought to worship. We ought to be there. We ought to be present together. It's an assembly. It's a festal gathering. We ought to come together with an open accepting the word, not rejecting the word, and not rejecting wanting to hear the word. We want to grab hold and say, I rejoice in the preaching of the word. What a blessing! What a blessing. We come, verse 28. We come, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful. For receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our worship, our life as God's people cannot be shaken. We may be put to death. We may be put in prison. We may be persecuted. It cannot be shaken. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is one that cannot be broken. It cannot be shaken. Therefore, let us be grateful. Let us be grateful. The word for grateful there is, is the word that we have that is also translated grace. When, when this word is used from God's relationship to us in Scripture, it's grace. When it's used of our relationship to God, us uh, bringing to God something, it's not that we, are, we, we give God grace. We are grateful. The, the word has a different connotation. When it arises out of the heart of a, of a believer, it's gratitude. It's that whole section of gratitude that God would have. Grateful for this unshakable kingdom. Grateful for the blood. Grateful for a God who is awesome who relates to us as a father, who comes to us, and so we can rejoice together. But we always do that, worshiping with reverence and awe, verse 28. With reverence and awe. 
It's never that we come to God with sloppiness and know all. It's not that we come to God as, as if we have no respect. We come to God in reverence in how we dress and how we sit and how we listen and how we pray and how we sing. We are in the most holy place. And we stand in awe and amazement at this God who has called us into worship. Where are you? Who are you listening to? Who are you worshiping with? Who are you worshiping? The psalmist would taste the worship of God's people. In Psalm 96, we have a taste of that in these words. In these words, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. People of God, we come to worship in reverence and awe through the blood of Jesus. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that we may never take as routine and we may never take as ordinary our worship, or our life as a believer. But Father, that we may worship you in a sacred assembly and that we may worship you in spirit and in truth in all of our life to your name's honor and glory, to the praise of the glorious grace given to us through the blood of Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.